All this we ask in his name, and all God's people say, Amen. Our scripture reading from this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll read verses, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who has built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Do you remember growing up and taking family road trips? I remember sitting with my three siblings in the back of our Suburban, a two brothers and a sister. And maybe like your family, whenever you were in the back, you would hear things going forward, drifting up toward the front seat. Things like, stop touching me. Mom, he's touching me. I'm not touching you. Mom, he's being really annoying. Brandon, stop. Or whenever we got a little bit older, I was the oldest child. I still am the oldest child. And, uh, you know, eventually I became above those petty squabbles. And uh, I would just make comments. And then, you know, if they had the words, they would have said things like, Mom, Brandon's acting morally superior again, and it's really annoying. Brandon, stop being annoying. I don't think my mom said that to me, but, you know, those kinds of things happen on road trips. Well, if you've been on one of those, you know it can be really difficult to get along with other people that you're related to for extended periods of time. And it's not just whenever we're confined into tiny spaces together on long road trips. Just getting together with our family, getting along with them, um, getting along with the people that we work with, with our neighbors, with all of those kinds of people, it can be really difficult. Fortunately, Jesus shows us a better way, a way that we can live together with other people. That's what we're going to talk about today. My name is Pastor Brandon Blackston, and we are in the final week of Jesus in His Own Words. We've been exploring the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7, hearing Jesus' most famous sermon, and the one that has guided Christians throughout the last two millennia in the way that leads to life, in His way. And so that's what we're exploring today. Today we're looking at how to live with other people. And as we've been going through, we've been hearing this teaching in which Jesus tells the way of the kingdom of heaven. And Dallas Willard tells us a little bit about what that means. Uh, Willard says, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die, and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. Not just about what happens to you after you die, but actually experiencing and living in the kingdom here and now. And that's what Jesus teaches us. That's what Pastor Mark has been sharing us for these last few weeks. And one of the things that we see throughout the sermon is that at its core, life in the kingdom of heaven is lived together. It's not something that we just get to on our own, that we don't have to deal with other people. It's just us and Jesus for all eternity. But it's a a life that is characterized by community. It's us with our neighbors, with our brothers and sisters, and even with our enemies. And so that that sounds nice and glorious, except for, well, maybe not that enemy's part. That doesn't sound super glorious unless they're like way at the other end of the table. But but it sounds nice to be, you know, in this nice communal life together, except for this one problem, that life with other people is difficult. It's hard to get along with people. Um, Things happen. People have annoying tendencies. People do things that hurt us, and our own stuff gets in the way. And so we want to be in relationships with others. We know that our life is most fulfilling whenever we have deep, loving, meaningful relationships together. And yet that can be really difficult. And so Jesus in his teaching this week shows us how to do that. 
Earlier in his teaching, Jesus built fences. Um, that's uh, kind of a, um, a rabbinic phrase talking about a, a way that, that rabbis in Jesus' day and age um, would, would teach about the Torah, the, the Jewish law. He built fences around behaviors that destroy relationship, around murder, adultery, divorce, violence, and limiting love, withholding love from others. And, and building these fences um, was a way of helping people to follow those commandments, not just avoiding murder, not just avoiding violence, but actually not even engaging in, in practices that might lead to that. Uh, today, a way of, of building fences around something minor might look like the way that, that we um, relate to our phones. If you want to spend less time on your phone, one way to do that is to keep it in the other room. Now, the problem is not having your phone in the, in the same room as you. It's just what happens when you do. And so you might build a fence around your phone by physically keeping it somewhere else. It's the same kind of principle about what Jesus is doing. And so earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus built fences around those behaviors that destroy community, that harm our relationships, and that harm others. And in the case of murder, even kill them. And so he concludes his, his sermon with instruction for how we relate to those closest to us. Not just the, those big, kind of massive, destructive behaviors, but, but even guidance for the everyday interactions we have so that we can live in the kingdom together. He teaches us how, and this is so important because Jesus promises that he invites us into a kingdom with other people. And if that's a problem for us, then we're not going to have very much fun with him. And so we have to learn together both in this life and the next. Fortunately, he shows us the way to do that. One of the things that he teaches us, and Pastor Mark shared about this last week, is that life together cannot exist where we judge others. And so this is what Jesus says at the beginning of chapter 7. He says, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. And so not only does Jesus teach us not to judge others, but that the degree to which we judge others, so we will be judged. And and as he teaches us um, through the Lord's Prayer, as we forgive, so we will be forgiven. And so this is really critical both for our relationships and for our own judgment and forgiveness. And and this is why this really matters. Dallas Willard again uh, teaches us about this. He says, when we condemn another, we really communicate that he or she is in some deep and just possibly irredeemable way bad, bad as a whole, and to be rejected, that somebody ought to be just rejected. Whenever we condemn them, that's essentially what we're saying, that this person is no good, that we don't need to be in a relationship with them, that we don't need them. We end up condemning them. And not only does it do that to the other, but this is what uh, Professor Amy Jill Levine says. She says, the disciple cannot be the light of the world if that disciple is too busy judging the world rather than healing its brokenness. Maybe you've known a Christian or two who was so busy condemning the world that they had no time to actually be a part of its healing. Certainly, there are many Christians who have. And so whenever we get caught up in judging others, we're condemning them, we're saying that they're irredeemably bad, and we're distracting ourselves from the work that Jesus calls us to. And we're unable to be who he tells us that we are, the light of the world. And so Jesus teaches us not to condemn. He says, do not judge. Now, that can be easy to misunderstand. Sometimes we do misunderstand it. But whenever Jesus makes that commandment, his command not to condemn is not also a command to avoid exercising judgment. Um, Sometimes we get those things mixed up because of multiple meanings of the word judge. Um, We don't judge in the sense of condemning. That doesn't mean that we turn our good judgment off, that we don't 
exercise judgment. And so this is how he talks about that. And in, in verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Now, this is one of those teachings that seems like, you know, okay, Jesus, thank you for, for telling us that. I had never been tempted to throw pearls or any kind of jewelry, for that matter, um, to animals, uh, particularly pigs. But uh, thank you for confirming that now, you know, that, that temptation is totally removed from my life. And uh, so, so obviously there's more going on if Jesus saw fit to mention that, to, to teach us that. And, and what's really going on in this, it's a little bit confusing, but whenever he talks about um, not giving pigs, pearls to pigs, the reason for that is because pigs have no use for pearls. Like, what is a pig going to do with that? Pigs can't wear pearls. I mean, maybe if you've got a really long necklace, but probably not impressing other pigs with that. And uh, they certainly can't eat them. I mean, nothing good is going to happen in their digestive tract if that happens. And, and yes, maybe you point to Miss Piggy, and I say that is the exception that proves the rule. Pigs have no use for pearls. And so we, we hear these words from Jesus. He talks about not giving what is holy to dogs, not giving uh, pearls to, to pigs, to swine. Um, and, and it can sound like, like that's a, a judgmental thing to say, like, like um, we holy people are, are giving our pearls to, to animals. And, and that's really not what he's talking about. The, he's, he's not labeling anyone. He's not, that's not a description of other people. The point that he's talking about, the, the issue that he's really pointing to, is not the worthiness of the recipient, but their ability and or desire to receive the gift. Whenever we give someone a a gift, like if we give someone pearls, they have to be able to receive that. And if you're um, interacting with a pig, they, they just have no use for pearls. It's kind of like whenever I'm teaching my daughter, there are a lot of things. She's in kindergarten this year, and there are a lot of things that I can teach her. Um, algebra really doesn't help her at age six. Um, there's just not much that she can do with that. She's, she's learning addition and subtraction. Uh, we haven't gotten to multiplication, and solving for X is really difficult if you don't know those things. And, and so that, that's really not a blessing to her uh, for me to teach her those things. It, now, helping her with, with adding, subtracting, that's great, but it doesn't help her if I'm trying to teach her algebra at age six. And really where this can go off the rails, you know, that, that's kind of ridiculous to try to teach to a six-year-old. It doesn't really hurt her. It might frustrate parent and child. But where this really goes off the rails is sometimes our gifts are coercive. Sometimes they're manipulative. Sometimes they're even insulting. And, and so maybe you've been in a situation where you had a neighbor and, um, and it had been a few weeks since you'd gotten around to mowing your lawn and it was starting to look bad. And, and out of the goodness of their hearts, they paid a service to come and mow their lawn. But, but in the way they described that to you, you could tell it, it was about them. It was about their comfort. It was about what they had to look at whenever they looked out at your yard. They weren't doing you a favor. Um, they were trying to, to make their own lives better and maybe even being condescending about it. Maybe you've gotten a gift like that before that was really more about the giver than it was about you. And in fact, I've given some of those gifts sometimes. I I love to read, I love books, and I love giving people books, but unfortunately, most of the people that I'm buying gifts for do not like books as much as I do. And so there have been times whenever I gave someone a book because I thought they should read it, that they ought to read it. I, I didn't question whether or not they might want to read it, but I thought that they ought to, so I gave it to them. And uh, the book ended up sitting on a table and gathering dust until they either gave it away or sold it or, or whatever, but those weren't very good gifts. 
And so I, thankfully I've stopped doing that. There are probably some other areas of my life where I need to work on that. But whenever we give gifts, um, they're not to be things that, that coerce someone, um, that shame them, that manipulate them, or, or even insult them. And so whenever we're giving to others, whenever we think that we're helping, I mean, even whenever we're, we're sharing our faith with them, we're doing that in a way where we're offering a gift, not trying to force their hand, not trying to push, but offering a gift. And so Jesus continues and he teaches us about how we can do that. He talks about asking and seeking and knocking. And so instead of forcing our wills upon others, Jesus instructs us just to ask. This is what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. That's what he says. He says, ask, search, and knock. And uh, sometimes that's hard. You know, we want to be forceful. We want to make our case to convince someone if there's something that either we want or that we want them to do. We feel like we have to get them to do it. And, and just asking is not enough. Because asking, if we're doing it in a non-manipulative, non-coercive way, requires us to accept the possibility of being told no. If I ask you for something, if, if I ask you to do something for me, if I tell you I need help with something, then I'm, I'm really making myself vulnerable. I'm, I'm admitting that there are things that I need that I can't do for myself that you can do for me. And there's vulnerability in that. Sometimes that's difficult, and, and we always open ourselves to the possibility that we might be told no. But actually what, what's amazing about that is that's exactly the same thing God does. God takes takes the same risk with us. God and Jesus Christ invites us to follow him, to become his disciple. Jesus even dies for us, offers himself for us, but doesn't force us to say yes. He doesn't say, you have to follow me. He, he invites us. He shows us the way. He even lays down his life so that we might be convinced, but he doesn't force us. He invites us freely to follow. And so whenever we are willing to be vulnerable, to ask others instead of trying to force their hand, we're actually imitating the way that Jesus models for us. And in fact, whenever we can ask for what we need, that's actually a sign of emotional and spiritual maturity. And it's difficult. Uh, in relationships, sometimes, we, you know, we would rather just think, you know, if they should know before I ask what I need. And, um, you know, that, that would be nice. I would love it if all of my siblings could read my mind and then give me what I needed. As best I know, they cannot. I mean, you know, there were a few times growing up that did, did cause me to question whether they could read my mind to know that things that would annoy me, but that was probably just my imagination. I, I don't think they can read my mind. And we expect that of people sometimes, and, and that's an expectation that they can never reach. Whenever we really become emotionally, spiritually mature, we ask for what we need. And we allow them the option of saying yes or no. But the reason that we can ask confidently is because God is good. Our confidence in asking comes from God's goodness. This is how Jesus continues. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If, if we human parents and 
you know, I've, I've got a lot of room for improvement in my parenting, in the way that I care for my children. I can honestly say that, that whenever my daughter has asked for food, I have never given her a snake. Whenever she's asked for food, I have never given her a stone. Although maybe someday I'll do that because I think it's funny. I would never seriously do that. And I'm compared to God. Whenever Jesus talks about you who are evil, he's saying in comparison to God's goodness, if, if compared to our goodness, if God is good as God is, if we can do that, how much more can God do for us? How much more will God do for us? And so we ask confidently, knowing that sometimes the answer might be no, but we can always rely on God's goodness and on God's love for us because we know God's character and we see that so clearly in the life of Jesus. And so we know that God loves to give us good things, that God wants what is best for us, that God gives us what we need. And so we can ask God. And then we know that whenever we are asked, because eventually someone's going to ask something of us, maybe before you finish worshiping online today, whenever we're asked, we imitate God's generosity and blessing in our relationships with others. Whenever someone asks something of us, and if we can give it without uh, causing harm, without having to say no to someone else in, in a way that, uh, that isn't an acceptable trade-off, that doesn't require us to compromise, then we want to say yes. Whenever we have the opportunity to bless and we can do so, we want to say yes. Whenever we have the opportunity to be generous, we want to say yes. Because that is who our God is. That's how God created us, to be generous, to bless, and to love. And so we ask, and we search, and we knock. And then when others come to us, whenever they ask, whenever they search, whenever they knock on our doors, if it's within our power, and we can do so without harming others, we say yes. Because God always loves to bless and provide for us. And whenever we do that, in our asking and our answering, we do to others as we would have them do to us. Whenever we're asking things of others, we don't ask for things that we wouldn't want them to ask of us. And whenever they're asking of us, we don't give them things that we, we don't respond in a way that we would not want them to respond to us. This is how Jesus says it, almost the exact same way. You know this. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is all the law and the prophets. For this is the law and the prophets. Um, you know this. It's, it's Colloquial known as the, as the golden rule, Jesus um, tells us to do to others as we would have them do to us. And, and then even tells us that this is basically a summary of, of all what was for him the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures, the, the law, the Torah, and the prophets. That, that's basically it. We do to others as they do to us. Although whenever we look to other places in the scripture, that does help us to understand exactly how we do that, because sometimes that question is tricky. And so later on in Matthew's gospel, we see further clarification about what it means to follow the golden rule whenever Jesus is asked a question. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. How do I do that? What's, how do I do that? Well, well, you love your neighbor as yourself. You love God with all that you are. And so I know that, that Pastor Mark is an OSU guy. I grew up in Norman. I'm not an OSU guy. And so, you know, maybe I would want to get him for his birthday an OU hat because that's how I would want someone to treat me. Well, if I'm loving him as, um, as I love myself, then probably I would not do that. 
because, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to wearing an OS, to receiving an OSU hat, but I would probably not wear it very often. And so whenever we use those two things together, we can see they help us to understand how to do one in light of the other. And so the golden rule is guided by the great commandment to love God and to love neighbor. And as we follow those, we can strengthen our relationships. We can get rid of those things that get between us. Um, We can maybe even reduce the fighting in the back of the car. Now, as Jesus concludes his teaching, he gives us a few warnings for the way, a few things to watch out for that may get in our way that can harm our relationships and lead us away from his way. This is what he says. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, I think we know this to be true just based on our experience. Jesus broadens that and expands it for us, helps us to understand it better, but, but we know that this is true. I mean, in my life, what I know to be true is that the path of least resistance rarely leads to destinations worth visiting. I want you to say that with me. The path of least resistance rarely leads to destinations worth visiting. I mean, the things that are easy, the places that are easy to get to, the th- kind of things that we just fall into, rarely do those take us to the places that we actually want to be. I mean, if I follow the path of least resistance in my day-to-day life, whenever I get home, the easiest thing for me to do is just sit down in a chair, turn on the TV, and start doom-scrolling on my phone. Let me tell you how happy that makes me. It does not. Has anyone had a good experience with that? Uh, What really brings me joy is whenever I I take a moment to uh, clear my head and uh, then go and spend time with my kids whenever I engage with them. And uh, sometimes that takes more energy than I feel like I have. But whenever I get to the end of that, I don't regret it. I never wish that I'd spent time just scrolling through Twitter. That does not make me very happy. Not a whole lot of pleasant things going on there. And so that's what he teaches us. The path of least resistance rarely leads to destinations worth visiting. And when Jesus talks about the narrow way, he's talking about the way of sacrificial love. And that's exemplified, of course, in the cross, in Jesus' own offering of himself for us. He's talking about what we just got done talking about, doing unto others as you would have them do to you, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, loving in the way that Jesus loves us. Now he continues talking to us about people who might tempt us to get, get away from the narrow way toward the broad way that leads to destruction. And this is what he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. And so by the kinds of things that they produce, by the fruit that they're giving out in their lives, by the kind of things that follow them, you will know whether they are following Jesus' way. And so we can see those things. We can see whenever these people talk, whenever um, the people who follow their platforms, what kinds of things are happening. Is there division? Is there hatred? Um, Is there sorrow? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there reconciliation? What kind of fruit is being born? And as we're looking at the kinds of things that we are putting into our lives, the kind of things we're watching, the kind of things we're listening to, our TV shows, our podcasts, uh, the people we're following on social media, we discern which voices to heed by looking for fruit. 
And so by looking for the kinds of things that are happening, are, are they giving birth to things that are good and things that are joyful or, or things that are bad, things that are um, antithetical to God's way? And one of the great ways that we can kind of test this is by the list that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5. He says, By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And of course there's not. Why would there be? Who could have anything against any of those things? And that's the kind of fruit that this Holy Spirit bears in us. Whenever we are in line with the way of Jesus, whenever we're following his teaching, that's the kind of fruit that's present in our lives. And so whenever we're following different voices, we need to ask ourselves, is this voice giving good fruit? Is it bearing good fruit? And if I listen to it, is it going to lead to good fruit in my lives? And if we look at the state of discourse in our country, in our world, there are a lot of voices that are bearing bad fruit that we need to unfollow, that we need to just prune out of our lives because they will not lead to anything good in our lives. And that's not very hard to see. And then he goes on to warn against those who misuse his name while actively denying his teaching. This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. And if we look at the Greek, what that, what that word evildoers actually is, is basically you lawless ones, you people who are rejecting the law. And we see both at the beginning and the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he talks about um, what he's doing as an extension, as an elaboration of the Jewish law. And, and so to, to be one of those ones who he claims not to know um, are people who are actively denying his teaching. Sometimes, you know, particularly if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've read this passage before, it's a cause of worry. You think, you know, I don't want to be one of the ones that, that he's saying he doesn't know. Uh, I think the thing that's so important to read, that, to remember as we're reading that, is that he's talking about people who are denying him, not people who, who are seeking to follow him and fall short, who, who try and uh, are not able to do, but people who are actively denying him, who are misusing his name and seeking power from it. And so we also remember that whenever we're tempted to use his name for our own ends, for our own good, maybe for our political causes. He says, don't do that. Don't do that, but follow the teaching that I'm giving. Follow the way that I'm offering to you. And when we do that, we will be building our lives on a foundation that lasts. This is how Jesus concludes his sermon. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them, hears these words of mine and acts on them, will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. And so we, we heard Miss Megan teaching about that, if you saw the children's moment, um, that whenever we um, listen to Jesus' words and don't just listen, but actually act on them, but put them into practice, it's like building a house on stone. But when we don't, it's like building a house on a sand that'll just wash away as soon as you get a good rain and some Oklahoma wind. And so we do what he says, because the way of Jesus' kingdom is characterized not just by hearing, but by taking action by actually doing the things that he invites us to do. And when we do that, whenever we're a part of that kingdom, we become part of a community where there's no condemnation, no coercion, but instead there's freedom, there's blessing, there's generosity, and selfless love. 
we can be in true relationship with one another where we learn to get along with one another and not just to get along so we can get by, but actually deeply to love and to encourage one another to help create the kind of community that Jesus describes where we do unto others as we would have them do unto us, where love, we love our neighbors as ourself. And that selfless love of Jesus characterizes every interaction that we have. And finally, ask for what you need from God and from others. Because we can have confidence in God's goodness. God loves to give us what we need. God is a good father. And we can be generous with what we have because of that as well. And we can ask, even though it requires our vulnerability, from others. And whenever we do that, our lives change. We experience the life of heaven, even now. I got a powerful glimpse of this uh, whenever I was in seminary. I had the privilege of taking a class with Dr. Amy Jill Levine at Riverbend Maximum Security Institute at a prison in Nashville. And uh, we'd go there week to week. I think by the time I was done, my family got tired of hearing jokes about when I got out of prison. But uh, we'd go to class, and it would be half Vanderbilt students and half prisoners. And we would study the scriptures. We studied the book of Acts together. And it was amazing to hear the insights that they came up with, the ways that, um, that they could see the scriptures that never would have occurred to me. And we, we came from drastically different backgrounds. They had experienced things that, that I can only imagine. And yet God did amazing things in that classroom. And I was able to hear stories about reconciliation, about uh, prisoners who had been reconciled with the victims of their crimes, some of them even with the families. Um, of those they'd murdered, and it was amazing to hear about the things God was doing. Dr. Levine shares a story. She says she was reminded by her students that their crimes did not define the rest of their life. She said, as if they were channeling Jesus, they ask, would you want to be judged by or even known by the worst thing you've ever done in your life? I know I wouldn't. I don't want anybody knowing those kinds of things, much less to to be the sole thing they know about me. And the great news is, we don't have to be. As Dallas Willard says, in the kingdom of heaven, there's no rejection. We don't have to be condemned because Jesus welcomes everyone. He offers us forgiveness and invites us to be a part of what he is doing, a part of his kingdom, where the will of God is done in our lives and in the world, where there's no rejection, where there's no heartache, where all people are blessed. That's the invitation that each of us has. I pray that we take it. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you invite us into your kingdom, even now, and that Jesus came and showed us the way. And so, God, I pray that whenever he knocks, that you would help us to open the door, that you would help us to obey his teachings and to follow your will. And that whenever our brothers and sisters ask of us, that we would joyfully say yes. That we would offer to them what we have in generosity. Because you are so generous with us. And we thank you that you were generous even with your son. Who taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.